um, we are still in the second chapter of Daniel, so if you go ahead and turn there with me, um, and as you turn there, I'll just remind you uh, where we are. So um, we're in the third week of our study of the book of Daniel. Um, the, in the first week, we talked about you know, the major theme about uh, running through the entirety of the book, emphasizes that God himself is sovereign and the ultimate disposer of the destinies, both of individuals and nations. And we've seen that in chapter one and how God cares uh, for Daniel and his three companions as they seek to faithfully uh, serve God and not compromise their faith by um, this type or by undergoing this indoctrination that the Babylonians are trying to um, uh, um, use to make them Babylonians and think like Babylonians rather than Israelites, but um, they remain faithful and God blesses them. Um, and then in the second chapter, um, which we started last week, it, the, the driving action we saw is driven by King Nebuchadnezzar having a dream. And as um, uh, verse 1 says, his, his, he had dreams, his spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. And so Nebuchadnezzar's quest to figure out what these dreams mean and to restore the peace that was absent from him um, set the stage for um, this threat to the lives of Daniel and his friends because the king demands that the wise men not just interpret the dream but tell him what the dream is. Um, it's clear that he doesn't trust them. Um, he sees them as conniving. Um, they're going to lie and weave a story just to please him. Um, and so he instructs them to um, uh, tell him the dream so he knows that the interpretation, uh, their interpretation of the dream is true. Uh, they refuse, saying it's impossible, which sends the king into a rage, and he um, has this instant demand that all these um, seers and wise men and uh, astrologers be killed, put to death. So they come uh, to, to gather Daniel and his friends up, and we talked about the contrast last week between Nebuchadnezzar and Daniel. Daniel's like, what's the rush? <laughs> um, whereas Nebuchadnezzar is this instant fury, Daniel is this um, uh, you know, responding uh, uh, in a very different manner. And we see that he pleads for time, which the other wise men had done, but um, Daniel is persuasive and is able to get some time. And then he immediately uh, and encourages his friends and he himself engage in prayer because Daniel uh, acknowledges the truth of what these wise men had said, that it's impossible for men to know what someone else is dreaming, but God can. Um, and God, uh, we saw last week, uh, revealed the dream to Daniel and he had this great um, uh, he, he broke forth in this great song of praise in verses 20 through 23. Um, and then he goes and he um, goes to the king and says, I know what the matter is, uh, and God has revealed it to me. And he, we ended last week looking at this long prologue of Daniel, where he starts by saying, No wise man, enchanter, magician, or astrologers can show you to, to the king the mystery that the king has asked. So, in a sense, saying exactly what 
Nebuchadnezzar's other wise men had said. But whereas those other wise men said, nobody can show it to the king except for the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh, Daniel more confidently asserts that, but there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. And so setting up the stage um, for the second half of the chapter of Daniel, this dream and Daniel's uh, and the interpretation that Daniel presents to the king and then the king's response. Um, so all of that for a reminder of where we are. Um, let me pray to open our time together. And then um, I'm going to read the entirety of the second chapter again, just because I think it's helpful that we see the dream again in this um, context of confrontation. So let's pray. Gracious God, we do praise your name, as Daniel does, that you are the eternal and everlasting God to whom belong wisdom and might. Uh, it's you who changes the times and the seasons, even as we uh, sense that uh, in our bodies this morning, as um, we can feel the approach of fall, but we know it's you that directs the times and the seasons. It's you who removes kings and sets them up. It's you who gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. It's you who reveal deep and hidden things. It's you who knows what's in the darkness, and it's you where eternal light dwells. Lord God, we pray, uh, just as Daniel and his companions did, that uh, you would make the matter known to us, that you would send your spirit to guide us this morning uh, into all truth uh, concerning your kingdom and our king, uh, Jesus Christ, that you would um, uh, help us uh, to, to see your work in the world, that uh, we would see uh, what you would instruct us, not just to fill our heads, but to instruct our wills, that we would be like Daniel and his companions and that we would purpose in our heart to serve you and to uh, obey your commands and not compromise uh, with the world that tries to seduce us away. Uh, we ask that you would uh, uh, unite us to Christ, unite us to one another through our union with Christ and guide us into all truth. We ask this in Christ's name by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, hear now the word of God from the book of Daniel, chapter 2, starting in verse 1. In the second year of the reign of Nebuchadnezzar, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams. His spirit was troubled, and his sleep left him. Then the king commanded that the magicians, the enchanters, the sorcerers, and Chaldeans be summoned to tell the king his dreams. So they came in and stood before the king. And the king said to them, I had a dream, and my spirit is troubled to know the dream. Then the Chaldeans said to the king in Aramaic, O king, live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we will show you the interpretation. The king answered and said to the Chaldeans, The word from me is firm. If you do not make known to me the dream and its interpretation, you shall be torn limb from limb, and your houses shall be laid in ruins. But if you show the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts and rewards and great honor. Therefore... Show me the dream and its interpretation. They answered a second time and said, Let the king tell his servants the dream, and we will show the interpretation. 
The king answered and said, I know with certainty that you're trying to gain time because you see that the word from me is firm. If you do not make the dream known to me, there is but one sentence for you. You have agreed to speak lying and corrupt words before me till the times change. Therefore, tell me the dream, and I shall know that you can show me its interpretation. The Chaldeans answered the king and said, There is not a man on earth who can meet the king's demand, for no great and powerful king has asked such a thing or any magician or enchanter or Chaldean. The thing that the king asks is difficult, and no one can show it to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with the flesh. Because of this, the king was angry and very furious and commanded that all the wise men of Babylon be destroyed. So the decree went out, and the wise men were about to be killed, and they sought Daniel and his companions to kill them. Then Daniel replied with prudence and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to kill the wise men of Babylon. He declared to Arioch, the king's captain, why is the decree of the king so urgent? Then Arioch made the matter known to Daniel. And Daniel went in and requested the king to appoint him a time that he might show the interpretation to the king. Then Daniel went to his house and made the matter known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, and told them to seek mercy from the God of heaven concerning this mystery, so that Daniel and his companions might not be destroyed with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Then the mystery was revealed to Daniel in a vision of the night. Then Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Daniel answered and said, Blessed be the name of God forever and ever, to whom belong wisdom and might. He changes times and seasons. He removes kings and sets up kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. To you, O God of my fathers, I give thanks and praise, for you have given me wisdom and might, and have made known to me what we ask of you, for you have made known to us the king's matter. Therefore Daniel went in to Arioch, whom the king had appointed to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He went and said thus to him, Do not destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me in before the king, and I will show the king the interpretation. Then Arioch brought in Daniel before the king in haste, and thus said to him, I have found among the exiles from Judah a man who will make known to the king the interpretation. The king declared to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, Are you able to make known to me the dream that I have seen and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king and said, No wise man, enchanters, magicians, or astrologers can show to the king the mystery that the king has asked. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has made known to King Nebuchadnezzar what will be in the latter days. Your dream and the visions of your head as you lay in the bed are these. To you, O king, as you lay in bed came thoughts of what would be after this, and he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. But as for me, this mystery has been revealed to me, not because of any wisdom that I have more than all the living, but in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. And now, um, picking up the section we'll particularly focus on this morning. You, O king, you saw, O king, and behold, a great image, the image, mighty and of exceeding brightness, stood before you, and its appearance was frightening. The head of this image was of fine gold, 
its chest and arms of silver, its middle and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. As you looked, a stone was cut out by no human hand, and it struck the image on its feet of iron and clay and broke them in pieces. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that not a trace of them could be found. But the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream. Now we will tell the king its interpretation. You, O king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power and the might and the glory, and into whose hand he has given wherever they dwell, the children of men, the beasts of the field, and the birds of the heavens, making you rule over them all, you are the head of gold. Another kingdom inferior to you shall rise after you, and yet a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there shall be a fourth kingdom, strong as iron, because iron breaks to, breaks to pieces and shatters all things. And like iron that crushes, it shall break and crush all these. And as you saw the feet and toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, it shall be a divided kingdom. But some of the firmness of iron shall be in it, just as you saw iron mixed with the soft clay. And as the toes of the feet were partly iron and partly clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly brittle. As you saw the iron mixed with soft clay, so they will mix with one another in marriage, but they will not hold together, just as iron does not mix with clay. And in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed, nor shall the kingdom be left to another people. It shall break in pieces all these kingdoms and bring them to an end, and it shall stand forever. Just as you saw that a stone was cut from a mountain by no human hand, and that it broke in pieces the iron, the bronze, the clay, the silver, and the gold, a great God has made known to the king what shall be after this. The dream is certain, and its interpretation sure. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell upon his face and paid homage to Daniel, and commanded that an offering and incense be offered up to him. The king answered and said to Daniel, Truly, your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, for you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Daniel made a request of the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the affairs of the province of Babylon. But Daniel remained at the king's court. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word. May he bless it as we talk of it this morning. All right, so um, let's start with the, the dream itself. And um, I want to start with the idea uh, that um, Daniel introduced in chapter 2, verse 1, that Nebuchadnezzar was immensely troubled by the, by the dream, um, so troubled that sleep left him. And now uh, we're given, presented what the dream it is. So what, why would this dream be so disturbing, um, so frightening to Nebuchadnezzar? Like what's in the dream that um, might make King Nebuchadnezzar lose sleep? Yeah, David. 
yeah, no, but you're, you're right. Like, and look at the description of the image. The, the image is mighty, like it's, it's great. Like, so presumably it's an enormous image. Um, and I almost wonder if the idea for the king's golden image in the next chapter <laughs> comes from the dream uh, he has. But he, he sees a great image and the image is exceedingly bright. Um, and it's also frightening. Like, so the image itself, like often we, when people like, you know, if you look up on the internet, like um, the you know, image in Four Kingdoms of Daniel, like usually it's like, you know, fairly standard Middle Eastern looking statue. Like, but, it, you know, he says its appearance was frightening. So the image itself is, is pretty disturbing, whatever it, it looks like. Um, and so he sees this image and maybe he's frightened by it. And then, as you say, David, uh, a stone um, cut from a mountain, not by human hands, comes and shatters this thing. And doesn't just knock it over, you know, break it into its component parts. Like, it reduces its component parts to chaff. Like, the gold, the silver, the bronze, the iron, the clay, all of it is just, like, we could see how the clay might be broken up into crumble up, but the rest of it we might find, we might expect to find some chunks or something. No, no, it's all completely and totally obliterated. <laughs> uh, meanwhile, the stone um, starts growing, which is a very unstone-like thing to do, <laughs> and the stone cut from a mountain itself becomes a mountain that fills the entire earth. Um, so yeah, like, you could see how you know, he could be um, really troubled by, you know, this frightening thing is destroyed completely and utterly by this other thing that he has no idea to understand, he has no understanding of ha its origins other than it was cut from a mountain and it's not man-made. He's going to make one in the next chapter. <laughs> yeah, that there's at some sense, like, this is something that has reference to him, that he's included in this story somehow. And again, you know, the idea that it's, it's being completely obliterated um, is, is, you know, it, and he, if you see yourself as part of something, um, and who knows, maybe the head looks like him. <laughs> I mean, they, we don't know. Uh, that, you know, those kind of details, the, Daniel's not worried about. But, but, but I think you're right. He, he clearly sees this as having some sort of reference or message for him. And Daniel even says that, you know, it's, you know, to you, O king, as you lay in bed, came thoughts of what would be after this. And he who reveals mysteries made known to you what is to be. Um, and then later on, um, in order that the interpretation may be known to the king and that you may know the thoughts of your mind. So, again, it's this idea that, um, I mean, to not know your own thoughts and, and what they mean is in itself a, a very troubling idea. And then to sort of 
have this vision um, and to see yourself as connected to it and to see, as, as David said, with great violence, this thing is being um, reduced to, to atoms. Like, yeah, that would be terrifying. Yeah, you look at these, like, we usually think of things made of metal, you know, and these are all, except for the clay feet, like, you know, these are all, you know, metal things that you expect are going to be, ha have permanence and endurance and are going to last, and um, and it's that idea that he, he's probably seeing this as something indestructible, and then to see, you know, a stone <laughs> come and just, like, again, like, and with metal, like, you know, we expect it to dent or maybe it, like, breaks into, you know, like, big pieces. But to, <laughs> to be reduced to dust is not what we usually think of. Yeah. Yeah, so, you know, as we start thinking about, like, he sees something that, you know, is exceedingly bright and is made of um, seemingly enduring materials and yet it gets obliterated. Um, so yeah, that, that's pretty disturbing. Frightening and glorious all at once. Like, um, and, you know, as we see, what, you know, as we start moving from the dream to the interpretation, that's often the way we look at human kingdoms. Like, and as we think about, you know, you know, the particular kingdoms that might be represented by these, each particular element. Like, at the time, we probably have seen those, man, like, this thing is, beautiful and it's terrible in its power and man it's gonna this is gonna be the kingdom that stays and lasts it's this is the kingdom that has conquered the the known world and um you know we we can have this perception when we're like daniel and his compatriots or on the other side like nebuchadnezzar to see you know, I'm on top, and I'm going to stay there. Like, and what I'm, you know, these kinds of things have permanence and brightness, and and you know, the, this is going to last. And when we get God's perspective, um, you know, human kingdoms are dust, um, and they pale in comparison to the kingdom that He's setting up, which um, does endure.
<laughs> yeah. It's an impossible request. Yeah, that clearly there's something in this that he sees this as really significant. This isn't, you know, I had a bad burrito and, <laughs> you know, and my sleep was troubled. You know, like there's something terrifying and significant about this. And as, as Daniel clearly says in his preface, like, you know, God has, has, is showing Nebuchadnezzar something. He's showing him what the next five, six centuries of history look like. Um, and so it's this, um, you know, wonderful uh, opportunity to see God's view of, of, of history, um, to see how Nebuchadnezzar is placed in time and space. So yeah, clearly he sees something very, recognizes there's something very significant about this dream, and it's not like the, the bulldog that talks in, in a British accent or something that scares somebody. <laughs> That's from a TV show. Yeah, so, you know, maybe he doesn't quite remember the whole thing, but he also is using it, you know, he's clearly also using it as a test. If you can tell me what the dream is, then I know you're, you're not just, you know, like the psychic hotline that is telling you, like, lots of generic stuff. Oh, you're having relationship difficulties, and oh, you're going to meet someone. Like, of course I'm going to meet someone. I meet somebody every day. <laughs> like, like, some kind of broad, fuzzy thing that, you know, like, you know it, he knows their their ways are to spin a good story, um, make something up, and this is a significant dream, and he wants to know what it really means. Okay, so let's get into uh, the meaning then. So, um, yeah, what is God communicating to Nebuchadnezzar in this dream? So Daniel gives the the dream, and then he goes into the interpretation. So, yeah, what's, and we'll start with kind of like the big picture, like what's the, the main message um, that's being presented in this dream? Yeah, that these earthly kingdoms that might be splendid, um, you know, and, and beautiful and terrifying and strong, none of them are going to last. And in fact, not only are they going to last, it, there's going to be a point no one even remembers them. Like, there's, there's no, going to be no trace found of them. Like, it's going to be, you know, completely, uh, human kingdoms are going to be completely eradicated. And in the coming of a kingdom that, that starts small, but grows to fill the earth, and that kingdom uh, endures. <laughs> yeah, there, I, and I, yeah, there, I, it, this really, I, the image itself is very striking, and um, like you know, 
start with the flattery. <laughs> um, because, uh, you know, and again, a, a very different perspective on history. Like, if I was telling the story of these kingdoms, like, the Babylonian kingdom was pretty mighty, but, you know, the Persians were stronger than the Babylonians and conquered them. And so Babylon would be on the bottom, and then the Persians, and then the Greeks come along under Alexander and knock out the Persians, and then they're strong. And then the Romans come and, you know, take out the Greeks, and then, you know, they set up the biggest of, of the, these four empires. But that's not the perspective. Um, so I would put Babylon at the bottom and Romans at the top. But that's not the way Daniel, um, it's not the way God revealed it to Nebuchadnezzar. And it's not the way Daniel explains it to him. You know, he's, he sets Nebuchadnezzar up as the, the mightiest of these kings. And what follows is inferior. Like, you know, silver's not gold. Silver's great, but it's not gold. Bronze is great, but it's not silver. Iron is is really strong, and and you know, and that's the emphasis here that, you know, it breaks all things. But um, you know, this this idea, but we wouldn't consider iron to be like. Nobody's walking around with iron jewelry. Maybe I don't know. Maybe you all are. Um, uh, I don't wear jewelry, so I don't know. Uh, oh well, except for my wedding ring, which is gold. Um, you know, uh, it's this idea like. <laughs> by putting Nebuchadnezzar at the head. Like, yeah, I think it's, he's setting him up like, uh, you know, you're at the top and, and you know, you're not gonna last, you're gonna be supplanted by other things, but you're, you're the kind of epitome, you know, the king of kings, you know. I mean, he, he, he really lays it on thick. <laughs> you know, you, O oh king, the king of kings, to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, might and glory and into whose hands he has given wherever they dwell the children of man the beast of the field birds of the heavens making you rule over them all you are the head of gold like um so yeah he, he's he's piqued nebuchadnezzar's interest <laughs> yeah david Yeah, there's a, absolutely. This is. Yeah, this is not a human perspective on history. This is God's symbolic representation of history. And again, I'm trying to emphasize like we might conceive of it, Romans are the best. Babylonians inferior, but God is presenting it to, to, to Nebuchadnezzar here as, you know, you're the epitome of this, um, but there are going to be kingdoms that follow you. Um, and, uh, but at the end of the day, they're all shattered. And, and it's not just the feet, 
even though the, you're, you're right, those are the, the you know, most brittle things. But Daniel makes it clear that everything gets, gets broken. Um, everything becomes like the chaff. The iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold, all together were broken in pieces and became like the chaff of the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away so that a, not a trace of them could be found. So, you know, uh, the, the emphasis, I think, to go back to what Teresa's saying, is all kingdoms, no matter what they're made of, but all human kingdoms, um, dis despite whatever brilliance or power they have. And, I, and to go to your point, David, I think each element symbolizes a different aspect of the particular kingdom they represent. Like, describing the Romans as iron, I think is absolutely, if it's the Romans he's talking about. Um, you know, describe them as iron, they crush everybody. Like, um, uh, oh, what's the line? Tacitus has this great line. Um, uh, he, he's quoting one of Rome's enemies, and he says, they make a desert and call it peace. Um, and it's that idea of the Roman Empire, like they come in and like Carthage, wipe them off the map, salt their fields, <laughs> you know, we're going to lay waste and, and they're not going to show up anymore. That's the, the Romans are that, that iron. Um, the idea of uh, a kingdom which shall rule over all the earth, like there's the famous saying of Alexander that he cried when he was in his 20s because there wasn't any place left to conquer. <laughs> like, you know, I, I've conquered the whole world. Like, what, I, what am I going to do now? Like, I'm, you know, <laughs> uh, I've got my whole rest of my life in front of me and no, nobody else to, to fight against. Like, um, you know, so as we think of it, like, you know, the, the different elements kind of capture some kind of symbolic representation. And Babylon, you know, is known for its splendor. Like, you know, the you, know, you can go to the British Museum and see pieces of it. Like, and I, I like just seeing like one piece of this enormous golden lion or something. Like what what did the whole thing look like? The hanging gardens of Babylon. Like it, you know, it's described as a wonder of the world. Like, you know, this was an amazing, splendid place. But the point of the dream is despite whatever its splendor and worth, um, it's in, in God's hands, it's dust. So, yep, and like, I mean, you could think about the metals from a, uh, um, a weapon standpoint, like, you know, people make weapons out of gold, but usually for symbolic purposes. <laughs> you don't want to fight with a gold sword because, you know, it's malleable, same with silver. You know, bronze weapons, a little better, but iron's better than bronze. <laughs> um, you know, so as you kind of think about these different empires. Yeah, the Babylonian is the shortest empire. It lasts about, uh, about a 
century and a quarter, some century and a half, somewhere in, in that range. Um, the Persians are about two centuries, the Greeks are about three, the Romans are about six or five or six, depending on when you want to date the, the, where, the moment they reached their uh, apogee. Um, so yeah, so each one is a, a little more in, enduring. Um, but, you know, as we think about the details, I, I think I like how he presents them, even though he talks of them as succeeding empires. Um, a kingdom shall rise after you. Um, notice that it's not the empire, like the, the Persians crushed the Babylonians, and then the Greeks crushed the Persians, and then the Romans crushed the Greeks. They, they exist all in this kind of one human-built statue, and it's God's kingdom, not any one of these particular kingdoms that destroys the other. It's God's kingdom that destroys them all. Um, and, you know, at a, at a particular moment, God is going to bring forth his kingdom. Um, and it's in the days of this last kingdom that's set up that um, God is establishing his kingdom, um, this stone not made with human hands that come and, and crushes not just one particular kingdom, but all the kingdoms of men. Um, all of them are reduced to, to, to chaff. Um, and again, this idea of chaff, there, there's a lot of allusions in these two, um, or in this uh, um, dream and its interpretation to the Psalms. So Psalm 1 the wicked are not so, but are like chaff that the wind drives away. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knows the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked will perish. Or Psalm 2. Um, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of earth set themselves uh, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell the decree, The Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, the ends of the earth your possessions. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now, therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all those who take refuge in him. So they are like, you know, those first two psalms have a lot of element, you know. The wicked are like chaff. The kings of the earth, God is going to crush. <laughs> um, all those who oppose his anointed, who stand in the way of his kingdom, are going to be um, crushed uh, by its coming and God's wrath against the kings of the earth.
yeah, that, and Daniel is, is really clear on throughout that whatever glory that Nebuchadnezzar, not only does, does Daniel not take glory himself, he addresses Nebuchadnezzar and says, whatever glory you possess, God gave it to you. You know, you are mighty, you're the king of kings, you're the greatest power on earth at this moment, but God has put you in this position. Um, you command all, you know, uh, again, like the, it, the sovereignty that Daniel is ascribing to Nebuchadnezzar here is pretty amazing. Like, uh, the children of men, the beasts of the fields, the birds of heaven, you rule over all of them, only because God has made you to rule over all of them. So he's not only not taking credit for himself, um, and, and I love, um, it strikes me every time we hadn't talked to this, but I love how Ariok comes in and says, I found a man <laughs> among the exiles who can, uh, who make known king, like, so you're like, we have an image of someone else, you know, trying to gain the king's favor, like using this as a moment to gain king's favor. Hey, it was me. I went out, I found this guy, he can interpret the, so we could see that how people in a court setting do that. Like, they're always trying to position themselves to receive the king's favor. Daniel, as you say, does the humble thing. Like, you know, it's, you know, and he says, it's not because of any wisdom, it's, it's not because I'm smarter than anyone else, it's because there's a God, and this God gave you the dream, and this God um, showed me the interpretation. Um, and that's how I'm able to stand before you and tell you both the dream and its interpretation. And that's how you know both are certain. You know, both of these things, uh, my telling of the dream to you is for sure. The, the history that, um, uh, of the latter days or the um, prophecy concerning the latter days is surely going to unfold the way God has laid it out not because I'm smarter and I've pronosticated the rise of global empires and expanded connections to people and what the Mediterranean is going to help be able to connect all these disparate parts of the earth. It's not because he's some smart political science economist or something that is predicting the future. No, it's because there's a God in heaven who's made these things known to him, not because of himself. And it's that same God who reveals things is, is the same God who sets up kings and brings them down and who is unfolding human history to create a, a kingdom that will endure, um, that won't crumble to pieces, uh, a kingdom that will, will stand and continue to grow until it fills the entirety of the earth. Um, so, you know, he's, he's setting this contrast um, to human kingdoms to emphasize the sovereignty of God as both the, the uh, not just the revealer of truth, but the one who is unfolding human history according to his plan. Um, all right, well, let's talk some about, um, so we've, we've talked a lot about the, um, the kingdoms that get destroyed. Um, so what do we learn about um, the kingdom of God that's being established? What, what are the qualities of this, um, of the stone? Um,
Absolutely. Um, and again, like this is a stone that doesn't have our normal properties of stone, like stones usually don't grow and, unless like they're in a cave or something and limestone accretes to them or, you know, like, like some slow process of time. But this is, is as you say, a living stone, it seems. Um, that's a stone, stones usually don't become mountains and all of, by themselves. So there's something um, very different about the stone. And the New Testament um, picks, picks up on this. Um, and probably the, the longest section where we see this is in 2 Peter chapter 2. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone, chosen and precious. Whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become, a cor become the cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So it's this idea of, you know, as we see this living stone, you know, we're described as living stones being built into this mighty edifice uh, that God is constructing. But those who are disobeying, those who choose not to believe, who reject the stone, they're the ones who are being crushed by it, um, which is very similar to the kind of picture we're given here. Good. Uh, Tim, I saw your hand up. Again, no peripheral vision, can't hit a baseball to save my life. <laughs> Yeah, it's, he's making it very clear that this is, it's, it's not any kingdom. This is the kingdom of God. Um, you know, in, those, in the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that shall never be destroyed. Unlike every other kingdom that people are like, yeah, it's mine, <laughs> I did it. No, this is, this is God's kingdom, and it's, it's being... Um, created by a stone not cut by human hands. Like, in, you know, we can, is this a reference to the virgin birth? Uh, you know, maybe. Um, but, but it's something that is not natural. Um, so this isn't just the normal flow of human history. This is a very different kingdom in that this itself is the kingdom of God that is being established. Somehow it's not going to fall apart. 
And it's not going to be left to, uh, you know, as Tim was saying, it's not going to be left to another people. Like, there's not going to be anything that, unlike the kingdoms of men, like, that rise and they fall, and there's always going to be an, another one that pops up. This one's not, this is, there's no success, successor to this kingdom. Um, you don't have to worry about a line of succession, like, I mean, um, I was just doing uh, in one of my classes um, the other day, like um, the whole mess that England was from Henry VIII um, up through, uh, well, at least up through the Stuarts. Like it's all the problem's always succession. Like who's going to succeed who, and you know, is the successor going to be Protestant or Catholic? And um, you know, it, it's it's a mess and. Thousands of people die <laughs> because of, uh, you know, one successor is chosen over another and people lose their heads, literally. Like, those are the kingdoms of men. Like, um, you know, even as um, Matthew uh, preached last week with uh, Herod, like, Herod's so insecure, he kills off his own sons because he doesn't want any rivals for power. Like, that is such the quality and character of human kingdoms, that we're not only just thinking about, you know, uh, what's now, but who's going to succeed, like any particular one king, it's who's going to succeed me. And this one, this kingdom, we don't have to worry about a line of succession. We don't have to worry about who's this kingdom going to be left to, because it's not going to be left to people. Um, it's going to be God's kingdom. And this one, in contrast to all other kingdoms, this one is going to endure. Um, this one's going to last. This one's going to stand forever. Um, this one is going to, uh, you know, truly fill the entirety of the earth. Not like, you know, well, we conquered the known world. <laughs> like everybody's like, ah, my kingdom, ex uh, you know, extends to the entirety of the earth. Well, <laughs> as far as you know. <laughs> um, but this kingdom here, it really is going to be a mountain that fills the whole earth. It's going to be this enormous thing that you can't miss. Um, and it's going to last forever and ever. It's a great portrait of the kingdom of God and how that kingdom differs from the kingdoms of men. Yeah, and it's this, it, the vision is doing kind of two things. Like, one, it's putting Nebuchadnezzar kind of 
in place and trying to give him that proper perspective, which when we get to chapter four, he, he clearly it hasn't sunk all the way in because he needs to learn that lesson. He needs humbling um, a little more dramatically. <laughs> um, but so part of it is, yeah, you know, show, you're a great king, but you're subject to a greater king and a greater kingdom. Um, and so part of it is that kind of, you know, speaking to Nebuchadnezzar. But then there's also this part of speaking to, to Daniel and the exiles and reminding them that they're part of a kingdom that endures. Like it, you know, they might be in Babylon, they might be in exile, but that's just for a time. Like, but they're part of this, this unfolding kingdom of God that he's establishing that is eternal. So it's much um, better to seek citizenship in that kingdom than the ones of this world. It's much better to obey that kingdom um, than the laws of men. Um, so it's kind of like it's speaking to two audiences. Um, and like, yeah, that it's, it's not, this is not the, a human production. God is doing something. And again, the, he's really establishing the, like, people get hung up on the prophecy of, like, oh, he's prophesying Alexander the Great, and he's prophesying the Romans. The point is he's prophesying Jesus, <laughs> um, the king of kings. Like, these other kingdoms are just there to provide the backdrop of what the real kingdom uh, is going to look like. Um, and that kingdom, you know, isn't like the kingdoms of men. It is of a very different character and quality. It has a permanence that none of these other seemingly permanent kingdoms possess. And I mean, again, uh, to be in history, like, you, you have to, at that moment, think like, and, and we all, humans always do this, like the, the moment we're in is the greatest moment ever, and um, it's going to last and last and last, and the lesson of history is no, <laughs> there's something else, uh, and something always succeeds something else until this kingdom comes in its fullness, and that is the kingdom that will last and endure. All right, uh, before we uh, end, uh, I do want to just, uh, so what do we make of Nebuchadnezzar's reaction to the dream and its interpretation? Yeah, Ron. Yeah, like, you know, he, he bows down uh, to, to Daniel. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, which is not, not the proper. Um, uh, but then he says, truly your God is God of gods, the Lord of kings, and a revealer of mysteries. So he's acknowledging that, um, that he, he's acknowledging the truth of what Daniel said, that I haven't figured this out. God has shown it to me. And, and Nebuchadnezzar's like, wow. You've got a pretty mighty God if he's shown you this. Yeah, Tim.
Yeah, um, uh, and uh, one, as one person said, he was awed, but not converted. <laughs> um, Yeah, he's elevated to um, yeah a position over all the wise men of Babylon. Like, absolutely, he 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 becomes the top one now. Um, and you know, in some of the future chapters, we'll see that uh, there's some lingering resentment over the fact that <laughs> that he is the top astrologer. Um, <laughs> or and you know to and I like how you compared it to the you know God displaying himself to to Pharaoh like I love the progression in those plagues on Egypt where you have the other court astrologers coming to Pharaoh and saying his god is god what are you doing like you know when you have other Egyptians trying to convince Pharaoh of the the truth of Moses' God. And it's, I think you're right, it's that kind of idea. Um, and, and, you know, that he, he's acknowledging that God is, is a revealer of truths. Now, he, he doesn't have yet that kind of Daniel perspective of um, how he relates to that God. Um, you know, uh, he, he doesn't, yet sort of see the flip side, you know, oh, this is a God of revealers of truth. He's also someone to whom I should seek mercy, which, again, when we get to chapter four, that, that's kind of the next stage in it, is he actually has to express some kind of re repentance um, or, you know, a, a more dra dramatic turning um, than here. Here, he's, God is superior than all my other astrologers and gods we follow. Um, but that's kind of like the limit. Um, and then the elevation of Daniel and his friends. And what a contrast. Like, you know, 30 verses ago, Daniel and his friends were about to be killed <laughs> along with all the other wise men of Babylon. Now they're at the top. Um, so going from being threatened with death to being in great power and authority over the kingdom. So clearly, that is a dramatic turnaround that God has engineered, that God has done something through this dream to not just save the lives, like, and they're grateful for that. Like, you know, in the middle, they're like, God has given, revealed this to them, and it's saved our lives. Um, but God's done more than that. You know, through this, um, they've gotten what the king had promised in the beginning, Show me that if you show me the dream and its interpretation, you shall receive from me gifts, rewards, and great honor. 
and Daniel and his friends received many great gifts, high honors, and, and made rulers uh, in Babylon. So God has done something uh, and is doing something both amazing in human history that this dream is showing, bringing forth his Messiah and this kingdom that will never end. But he's also doing something really amazing in this particular moment in the lives of Daniel and his friends, taking them from a um, potential death sentence to putting them in this really empowered, blessed position. All right, well, let me uh, close our time in prayer. Gracious God, we thank you for your mighty works and that you've revealed those mighty works to us um, through your scriptures, that you truly are uh, a God who reveals truths to us. And we thank you especially for how you've revealed yourself to us by taking on flesh and dwelling among us, uh, Emmanuel, uh, that you sent uh, your son uh, to be uh, um, uh, the true king, um, the true priest, the true prophet, and that uh, his kingdom has been uh, established and is coming, and it is the only kingdom that will endure for an ever and ever. And so we pray, come Lord Jesus, come quickly. Help us to worship now in spirit and truth. We pray in the name of our Savior and King, Jesus Christ. Amen.